0: I have long been a fan of podcasts, before they were even known as podcasts. Um, To be able to just put down your thoughts um, without the necessity of having to show your face and making such a big deal out of it, you know, I've always rather liked it. But then I realized that there were so many other people who, like me, um, preferred such means of communication, of putting their ideas across, putting their thoughts through, uh, in front of others. And then I hesitated, because I don't know, I have this sort of an aversion towards doing what everybody else does. And I've always hesitated, with interviews as well, preferring just written interviews. Um, this was the first time that I actually did an interview with the Chat and Spin British Radio. And then it got me thinking once more from, you know, regarding my love for just putting my ideas out there um, quietly. (laughs) To me, I think, yeah, I think it's quiet when you just talk about your ideas without going through the whole uh, process of filming it, putting it on videos and all. And then I realized that there were so many things that people um, and I have been talking about with each other that never really reached a broader audience. And although I know usually as writers we're conceived to be those people who, you know, we just put down our thoughts one way or the other in our books. But the truth is people don't learn from books anymore, not the way they used to. Before, when you read fiction, you learned a lot more than when you read non-fiction. Um, Somehow the message always got through. But now I think it's more of everybody just taking whatever he or she wants to from the book and, you know, letting everything else pass by. And that sort of generates the need to talk a little more clearly about those issues, to voice them. For example, I was asked about racism. I think that was a very intelligent question by a very intelligent person because who would have really even realized or noticed that I touched upon that subject in basically almost all the books that I've published to date. Um, The subject has been approached in the Mist series and the subject was again approached in my novel that's just released today on the 1st of January 2021. Happy New Year everyone. And although it may be touched upon differently, but it was very clearly approached nonetheless. And then that got me into thinking about the other questions about my female protagonists and about uh, having them choose unconventional paths. And then I realized that really, I mean, I always thought that anybody or everybody who had female protagonists would have them choose unconventional paths. But, um, it seems that's not really the case generally. Yes, because you know, when I think about women's fiction or women's literature, my mind does not go towards romance or mills and Boone. sorry. I've always thought women's fiction or women's literature was, you know, something by Margaret Atwood, for example. Or, you know, classics by, uh, you know, like Jane Eyre or um, Charlotte Bronte, Bronte. and I was just thinking about all those different writers, female writers, who wrote about female subjects, and I've never found any of them to be very conventional, and uh, at the same time I found them to be very original and genuine, and I kind of do not understand why that is no more the norm. For me that is, but for modern writers, why isn't that the norm? I really do not know. Uh, and as I realize it more and more in real life as well, despite the fact that we consider ourselves a very modern civilization, And despite the fact that we consider ourselves to be very civilized, we're anything but. Um, We seem to have regressed as a civilization. That is what I have always thought. And the everyday occurrences around me have just reconfirmed or embedded that observation within me. We are definitely regressing as a civilization. You know, when I look back at the ancient civilizations, their approach towards life, their approach towards their children, their approach towards each other, I felt that they had more wisdom and a more practical approach than we do today. They didn't label people. You know, there was always that so-called village idiot. And, and strangely, we call them village idiots, but they never did. They always called the, those people, oh, you know, he's a bit simple. You know. He's not very clever. And these are nice words. To be simple is a nice word. It's not like how we label them today, calling them idiots or calling them morons. And similarly, uh, the word retard was literally a French word for slow the way we've used it or should I say abused it in the English language Now if you call somebody retard, it's it's like an abuse Although originally this was anything but an abuse. So the way we have Changed the meaning of our words as we address each other the way we change the way we have changed the meaning of words That we use On a daily basis, giving it a more negative intonation that has caused more harm to our day-to-day communication than ever before. The fact that we label people when suddenly now we all don't want to be judged but we're all too busy judging everyone else. I mean I have always found that extremely weird to say the least. I found it ridiculous to be honest. And I have found it very illogical, and I never could find the reason behind it. For example, when you talk about feminism, the movement of feminism in the West, well the women had realized that in the uh, golden age of the uh, Muslim civilization, women were treated as equals. They did work. They uh, were free to, you know, have a profession. The education was an obligation for both men and women so all those practices were very common and uh, after colonization the Muslim world regressed because the countries that were now under Western colonization they had regressed towards uh, gender inequality and towards a new world where there was a lot of discrimination based on age, based on gender, based on family relationships. A lot of the culture that they had left behind uh, upon the dawn of Islam suddenly came back to the front. Um, you know, so they suddenly started giving more preference to either their colonized version of culture or their old pagan version of culture as opposed to the practical way of Islam which was basically, you know, freedom, freedom of choice, uh, no discrimination, uh, equal rights, and generally a more modernized way of living, which was what they had enjoyed before. And so when the Western uh, civilization began its uh, feminist movement, we realized that a lot of things that the Muslim women had taken for granted and that were suddenly stripped away from them, Was something that the Western women now had to start fighting for. And it brought about a lot of problems. Uh, Chauvinism somehow increased instead of decreasing. uh, Discrimination increased Instead instead of decreasing. Women were suddenly labeled. I think that's where the process of labeling began. Suddenly, everything had to have a label. She's a feminist. He's a masochist. You know, uh, he's a chauvinist. Uh, they're a misogynist. Uh, they're sexist. And then for women, you know, you had more labelings that just came on. They just piled on. You know, a lady is supposed to do this. A lady is not supposed to do this. These these things were alien to the original Islamic community, to be honest. But they had become a part of the post-colonized Muslim countries which were now uh, more or less dependent on culture and previous colonized uh, systems as opposed to the original Islamic system as I think I've said before. And I think uh, then you know the all those proper manners for women and proper way to speak for women, and they were in direct contradiction of Islamic tradition. But suddenly everybody decided that it was, you know, that was the norm. And then I realized that it's because suddenly men had become the dominant uh, species of the human civilization. And they had decided that they were supposed to make the rules of how women were supposed to be, and how children were supposed to be, and how men were supposed to be. And uh, that caused the biggest problem that we are facing now today, where there is discrimination at every corner. Um, You have, I mean, you even have discrimination where an employer discriminates against his employee, and rights are not given... And minimum wage is something that you still have to fight for today. And although we had set some standards, nobody seems to be following them. Although there are rules and regulations, um, the powerful seem to be above the law. And the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And basically the society is just disintegrated in such a way that there is no strat of society. There is no place. There is no age group. There is no gender. There is... No, there's no single class in society that is not being discriminated against, either it's positive or negative, but there is an ongoing discrimination and there is a lot of abuse of power, be it uh, in a household or at schools or at organizations or at companies or even amongst individuals. It's it's like it's as if human beings have decided that suddenly the law of the jungle is what we are supposed to be living in, and I never got that either. Because if you look at the law of the jungle, they have a, a much more uh, a, a much uh, it's it's a more it's a fairer cycle of life. There is no dog-eat-dog dog rule in the jungle, I'm sorry to say. I don't know whoever thought of that and whoever brought it uh, in front of us. But this does not exist. In the jungle, there is this divine system that is in place. And the fact that no animal goes against it. And that they maintain the order, which in turn balances nature, which in turn balances the whole world's environment. So if animals were to go against nature like how we are, the world would have finished by now. I think the world is still somehow maintaining itself because of that world order that the animals and the other creatures have kept. It's no thanks to us. So yeah, I don't know which law of the jungle you people are talking about because that doesn't exist. I think it's all us. It's always been us. We're the only animals on earth that go against nature and call it natural. We're the only ones that Have regressed We say that like other animals man can adapt but that doesn't mean that if man can adapt then man should be put in such a situation where he's forced to adapt. That is just wrong. The fact that we should allow other human beings to live in conditions of misery and that we should just expect that to, you know, we should just close our eyes and and expect that, you know, it will... It will be handled by by who exactly? Who is going to handle it? The government? They're the ones who are behind it. The rich and the powerful? They're behind the government, egging them on to it. When we start giving excuses, that's when we really need to sit down and self-reflect. Because if we let it happen to somebody else today, it's definitely going to happen to us. Tomorrow, because that's how it's done. You know, you dehumanize a particular sect or a particular group or a particular religion or a particular country, and you make excuses for the perp to go on defiling their victims. Then you've you've actually just given The excuse to your government to do the same to you, you have given the excuse to those organizations to do the same to you. And that's exactly what happened when we dehumanized Palestinians and Kashmiris. We gave people the excuse to dehumanize the African Americans the Native Americans, we gave them the excuse to dehumanize Muslims all over the world. We gave them the excuse to make war for profit. You can justify it all you want, but just look back. If you look back at history, you'll find out that every single time there was a war incited, by a certain government of a certain country. It was always for the gain of a certain company or a certain organization. It was always for profit. And how many times are you going to apologize to a country that you've destroyed? You know, you've had to apologize to Bosnia. You've had to apologize to Iraq. You will be apologizing to Syria you haven't yet properly apologized to Pakistan for trying to destroy it. Uh, you have not yet apologized to Palestine or Kashmir. You did not apologize to Africa yet. So That shows, you know, I mean, uh, later on saying that, oh, you know, uh, you did not even apologize properly to Vietnam, even though you would probably say that, you know, as people, we went against our government and we were against the war. But how long did it take for you to realize that the same thing was happening in Iraq, that Iraq was being blamed for something that it never did or had? And you just went blindly with the government and said, oh yeah, let's kill everybody, let's kill everybody. And then you realized that you made a huge mistake. And suddenly now everybody wants to talk about how the war in Iraq was wrong. But did anybody apologize? So how many times are you going to go through that as people? How many times are we going to go through that? How many times are we going to actually be manipulated by certain organizations? So that we can blindly accept them being warmongers, or we can blindly accept them destroying the world single-handedly. We are to blame. We are definitely to blame for it. We cannot just put ourselves on the side and say, oh hey, you know, we didn't know anything about it. Why didn't we know anything about it? We're supposed to know everything about it. When our government suddenly makes claims that it wants to wage war against a certain country or a certain religion, we have to ask them about it. I mean, how many times are we going to repeat that? The communists were ungodly people all of a sudden, so everybody had to turn against them. The Nazis were suddenly world heroes and everybody had to be with them and then suddenly when the world realized that this wasn't going in their favor then they dropped the Nazis. they just dropped the Nazis and you know they made them into perps and culprits and we suddenly became huge fans of their victims who by the way were taking refuge from Muslim countries because the very countries that are now so very uh, in You know, so very against Nazism. These are the same countries that financed and promoted them. And the countries that gave refuge to those Jewish victims were the Muslim countries, including Palestine. And this is how we're repaying them. So yeah, these these harsh bitter truths, whether you like to listen to them or not, these are facts. Uh You can try to dress them up any way you like, but these are facts that cannot be repudiated. You just can't. You have to be able to sit down and be objective. Because if we are not ready to face the truth, we cannot make progress. And when there's no progress, then our civilization will disintegrate as it already is doing because of the simple fact that we just like to close our eyes to truths that are very uncomfortable because we don't like to we don't like to realize that we're the bad guys we all want to be the good guys we all want to be the heroes The first step to being a good guy or a hero is making a tough decision. This is why in our books, you know, all our heroes and heroines, they go through all that crap in life, all that hardship. And they make tough decisions so that they can move forward. They make decisions that normally would scare us. That's why we call them heroes. So if you want to be the good guy, you have to learn to take that tough step. Once you take that step, it becomes easier. So, if 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 even if the only thing you can do is write about it, or talk about it, or protest against it, you're doing your bit. Everybody's doing their bit. You're wrong when you're not doing anything. When you're completely silent, or when you're justifying it. Like when you justify the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Or when you justify the occupation of Kashmir by India. Or when you justify the war in Syria. Or when you justify assassinating other countries' leaders because they do not agree with what your government is saying or doing. So... You have to be able to control the narrative instead of letting other people control that narrative for you. When you start there, then you start to get a little more objective. When you start questioning the information that comes to you, and you start doing your research to verify it, that's when you're taking that step. And that's actually a small and a very easy step. It's time-consuming, but it's worth it. I'll be back with some more uncomfortable ideas and philosophies and thoughts. Um, I'm not going to make this a regular thing, but I'm thinking I should try to give voice to my thoughts, apart from not just through my books. I mean, maybe I should Literally give a voice to my thoughts. People may agree, people may disagree. But then that's what we call freedom of speech. Not insulting other people, not degrading other people, not dehumanizing other people, not labeling other people. Those are not freedom of speech. Those are discriminatory speeches. And those are hatred speeches. This is what we call the freedom of speech. Bye, and a Happy New Year once again.